G'day all, welcome to the Highly Adequate Podcast. My name's Desi and I'm also the current co-host for a Forensic Focus podcast. Uh, I'm launching this along with YouTube videos and other content to help those learn about cybersecurity, in particular, the defensive space. This week, we're going to be starting a new series, which is kind of like a human interest piece to get to know people who have been in the industry and, and just get to know their pathway to where they are now. Um, this week, I'm joined by one of my friends, Brendan. Um, Brendan and I have known each other since, I think, 2016, right, Brendan? It's been a, been a while. Yeah, be be around that. Yeah, 2016, I'd say. Yeah. So so we are both um, veterans. We we met at a, a military course and then kind of went our separate ways from there, but have, have always kept in contact. So as first up, we're recording on a Sunday, but what's your normal like day-to-day like? Like how, how busy are you? Yeah, so um, I'm pretty lucky where I work. Uh, it's, it's a normal five-day week, but the core hours are pretty nice, pretty lenient for us. Uh, so anywhere from like, yeah, 10 to 3. But as long as we're near our keyboard, 30 minutes away, it's usually the rule. Yeah, nice. For incident response, the day can yeah can change very dramatically <laughs> depending if there's stuff going on or um, some you could have a whole month where pretty much nothing's happened. So yeah, um, yeah, a bit of time to study and chill out. Yeah, yeah. I always feel like instant response like throws you in the deep end and and all of your plans go out the window. Like you're canceling weekend plans, you're canceling like anything you were going out to at night, particularly with a if you if you're in a small team. Um, and something kicks off. Yeah, the the pay can be good, but you can be on a holiday in Mexico or something. Yeah, uh, and there's a, a big incident, or you're flying back to, <laughs> to help back back in Australia. Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of the one to call it. Stuff stuff's on fire. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It always reminds me of that meme of the dog where he's like, "Everything's fine." That's why I always feel that way during an incident where um everything's falling down around you, but um. Yeah, everything is on fire. Yeah, definitely. Like clients are freaking out. Um, <laughs> I've never seen such a big attack or they think mm. they're saying it's this country and that country and you haven't even like been there or got to the, the building yet. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like kind of used to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess it's because especially being a responder, you kind of see it all the time, whereas customers, this could be their first major incident. And especially the times where like I know I've rolled in and it's, someone's like first or second week in the job and they've just been hit by like ransomware and everything's down and everything's on fire. Everyone's yelling at each other kind of thing. It's very stressful. Yeah. It's kind of the last point of call for them. Mm. Um, and a lot of them have, have kind of dealt with them by themselves for a few days or weeks before they understand how to contact IR. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you just, you're trying to think about how do you could get to collect the logs, but they're asking you questions about which country did it. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah everyone loves that attribution yeah. question don't they yeah it's a painful one because mm. you see it thrown around all the time um and how kind of you realize how impossible it is to to say at someone because if like there's people pretend to be others mm. it's really hard to determine who it is yeah so, cool. so before we i guess jump in to a little bit about your, your current career. Let's go back a little bit. And I just want to kind of get a, an idea of where you came from before you got into the cyber industry. So kind of what were you doing before you kind of made the decision or you found out about cyber and you transitioned kind of into that beginning workforce? Um, first time I 
found out about cyber. Like, I didn't really understand what cyber was. Mm-hmm. Um, like, even when I was a kid, uh, my brother was quite gifted at it. Um, and well, he probably didn't know what it was when we were, like, at high school. And we were, like, um, I think what I remember is, like, a ghost modem, which now when I think of it, it's all just packet collection mm-hmm. and in old networks. You could collect enough packets and through the wire sniff passwords and, like, pull out passwords and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, kind of saw that as a kid, but I didn't. I was just, like, hacking school. <laughs> quotation marks hacking yeah yeah um but yeah um kind of didn't do that great at school <laughs> they couldn't do uni um mm-hmm. so military is like the thing you're not really supposed to do but i gave it a shot because mm-hmm. um, i didn't really have much other option and then i think just one of my office officers a few years in was like hey there's this cyber course um do you want to do it and i'm like never heard of cyber but i'll give it a shot and yeah fell in love with it again i guess um was just kind of yeah fell into fell into the job yeah Didn't know too much about it but um it was the first, one of the first course i did was like pretty awesome really smart people and made some good friends from it so i kept kept pushing yeah just kept doing more courses yeah i think that that course that you're referencing there that was the one that, that we met on right down in um that in melbourne that we did together um that kind of kicked off uh, a kind of a big aspect of defense cyber back when I guess the industry was quite fledgling, fledgling in Australia. It was a, the second course I did was that the first okay. one was um, University of New South Wales, Canberra. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember a, that. A master style course um, that had like a, a red, like a red, blue and purple modules, like mm. hacking defensive and both modules. Um, yeah. It was some like a really like Dr. Sylvia Savar was there. Um, so really one of the guys that owns the, the owner of a company called Mercury, mm-hmm. um, yes. And like really talented people. Yeah. It was, it was cool. I wonder if that course has evolved or is still around. Um, and I, I guess if it is, uh, we can have a look and we'll, we'll chuck it in the show notes for that. Cause I think that was open to anyone to do, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So it was a, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it still is around. It's like a boot camp style course now, maybe. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it is in one of the military-based universities, so I'm mm-hmm. not 100 sure how open it is. Okay. Uh, but yeah, definitely still around. I'm just not sure how open it is to the public. Yeah, that's all good. We can. I I'll have a look later, and and if it's there, we'll I'll chuck it in the show notes for for others to have a look at if they're interested. Um, but it so it sounds like your tradition was a bit of you were interested and, and motivated and there was an, a course come up that you had an opportunity to get on and that kind of was your tra- transition. Did you find that there was still a steep learning curve and you were doing a lot of self-study as well or that, and, and you had mentors, obviously the people that are on the course and the teachers um, sound really awesome. And I know from our course, there was um, a really good cohort of students that we went through with, but I guess just looking at from the outside, if people are looking to get in, how much extra effort there was and, and motivation to kind of get to that next level where you're then stepping into the industry. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like when I was doing the course, I kind of had the first course in Canberra. Kind of had no idea what mm-hmm. I was doing. Um, it's kind of doing the what we were supposed to do and uh, going through the, the training. But yes, it wasn't like super good at it yet so it's hard to know what to study hard to know how to study even um 
and but being a like because it's the style of the course and the style of the job I was in, mm-hmm. uh, you like you we were all in the same hotel, and so you'd go back home, um, and you'd be together anyway. So you'd study and you'd mm-hmm. go to work, which is you'd get paid to go to school, and then you'd study together at school, and then yeah. you'd go back home and you'd study. It was just you were around people, your classmates, every yeah. day for months on end. So you kind of like got like if you ever studied or you you were by yourself um it kind of forced yeah forced to learn and study but I, like even at the end of that course i wasn't like i had like a basic grasp a fundamental grasp on what cyber was and not until that course that we did together in melbourne yeah um, it's like seven months of training was before we are yeah i, I got got the kind of the skills that i needed to um to say i was like getting good at cyber i guess yeah, because I, I, I think I remember you were the one that when we were down there, you were studying um, Offensive Security's OSCP as well while we were doing that course, right? Yeah, so yeah, during that seven months of training, which was similar again, we'd go go to school on yeah. on the same place where we lived, the military base, um, and we'd do seven hours of school or eight hours of school and then walk back home and then just sit in the, the dining room and study OSCP. Yeah. Um, with some really talented people so it was we just like kept yeah kept pushing each other um, yeah and yeah the, the also quick qualification was it was awesome because like it gave you a big step up on all the people even doing the course with you uh, yeah they weren't like studying it because yeah like, just the basics how like how to do basic linux commands and stuff it's was, it was, it was vital for OCP. yeah yeah and and i guess because the course that that we were doing down there was more on the defensive side focused um with some like fundamentals mixed in as well but not that pen testing uh which is the oscp yeah and even just like a lot of the skills help each other they complement each other yeah you you like do some of the oscp machines or um uh, some of their labs or the their course and it's just like linux commands like grep or cut or like some of the basics (laughs) Yeah, yeah. St- stuff that I still Google today where I'm like, how do I do this with a log file? And someone on Stack Overflow has the answer for me. Yeah, it's, 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 that's part of this part of being in IT, I guess. Yeah, you just Google everything. Yeah. Uh, you can't go to a lot of things. Oh, you know a lot of things, but not good at any of them. It's kind of mm-hmm. a jack of all trade kind of thing, but uh, you can just Google it. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Don't need to remember it unless you use it every day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely true. Um, but yeah, being able to use OCP, use that course for your other, for the course you're doing. So you can kind of like go back to your normal class yeah, and uh, use the skills you learned or vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty rewarding. Nice. So the next question that I, that I had in this series is, is talking about TAFE and uni and, and do you think they helped, but, uh, so your kind of background was you, you didn't do uni. Uh, initially, like you kind of came out of school, went into the military, but then had the opportunity to do a quite focused uni uh, cyber course. And, and that was really beneficial. Is that kind of the the timeline of you starting to move into the cyber security space? Yeah. So I, like IT skills, I did TVET and stuff. I was just like TAFE for kids. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if that's true. That could be uh, definitely <laughs> selling it short. But uh, TVET, I, I think it's for like... Uh, it was a school program that we did. Right. But, yeah. Okay. But TVET means 
what I think it means. But uh, it was yeah, it was just like a course in um, uh, network communications, right? Um, or Windows network communications. So it was just like AD, um, some basic like Windows user groups, how to build a network. Yeah. Um, but it was like a, a Cert two or a Cert three, um, and I think I got one more Cert two in the TVET program. So I did two TAFE courses, which were it was a good good school to have to mm -hmm. learn a bit about. He just had a little, little bit more extra, but yeah, definitely wasn't needed to get into cyber. Um, Do you find it good as a foundation though for cyber, like understanding the networking and, and Active Directory things? Um, yeah, it's definitely important. Uh, just like any other IT skill is, is important for cyber. Mm. Uh, if you know basic Linux commands and how the servers work and how to install applications, you've, you're ahead of people who don't. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's def, like any any IT skill is good in cyber. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, kind of definitely. building building that toolbox as you go along, getting all the different skills. And I guess cloud's the new thing these days with so many different cloud environments and, and how their logs are configured. And it's not the same as, as traditional uh, networking and configuration for networks and stuff. Yeah, but if you're good at networking, that means you know what IPv4 is. Yeah. That's like a two-week subject alone. Um, yeah, subnetting. It feels so easy now, but uh, teaching people it or um, I remember still being taught how long it took to click for me. So it's yeah. just knowing networking, you know, some like one part of it is uh, IPv4, IPv6. Yeah. Like, it's just a tiny section. So if you know networking, like you're already like, it's a very good skill to have. Yeah, yeah, so true. If you could go back pre- cyber self-advice you would give yourself, but in today's time frame. So if you uh, were trying to get in now, is there any kind of advice that you can give anyone that, that you think could help at the moment? It's a hard question because like to give, it's, it's a hard industry at the moment to get into. I kind of got lucky. So it's like, if I change anything, I might not have got lucky um, for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not like, if I could go back, and say like if it was in current like if it was back then it was wasn't too bad to get into mm -hmm. um it was kind of like a time where it was just like even if you weren't too skilled you know a little bit about it you had a little bit of cyber knowledge um a lot of people just like were grasping for even like the most because there's no uni courses yet properly yeah it's um, true not even a major in cyber security mm -hmm. it was a lot of certifications that people didn't even know um and yeah a lot of people if if you found a place that you even you had just a basic amount of skills that just train you from nothing yeah um but today it's it's building its own education track um and people a lot more people are knowledgeable about what courses are what and who to get um it's definitely a hard question to answer that one that's for sure because yeah. i i think back to that time there was probably like offensive security had the pen testing course out you had like crest and sands out which are prohibitively expensive courses for individuals and were more aimed at Definitely back at that time, I think um, law enforcement because they were the the main customers of of those courses. But then you look at today and how many uni courses like every uni is like want a career in cyber, come and do this this bachelor's with us or this master's. And and we were talking just before we jumped on the call. There's even there's more and more boot camps popping up at, at universities where you can kind of go and they they promise kind of like a, a fast track in knowledge to to get up to speed. Yeah, them courses are very similar to the master style course I did at the start mm. of my career. 
Um, they're really good. Like they obviously cost money and it's a big decision to take mm -hmm. 24 week like some of these boot camps have. Um, but uh, like every student that was like motivated enough to look after like some of these courses. Um, yeah. But I've like, I know uh, they definitely like the motive always get through. It sounds like a huge benefit. Like I, like I feel this and it, it sounds like from what you're talking about, it's having that cohort that you can kind of study with. So there's potentially still the benefit of doing an in-person course versus, versus uh, doing one that's remote. Cause like, I know personally, like I, I buy courses, like they're running out um, and then they kind of like sit on my computer and I have a, like, I've paid for this course that I, that I haven't done. Um, like one was, building malicious binaries that I paid like 80 bucks for that I've never done, but I bought it. But that motivation is definitely hard to sit down and study when it's not an in-person course for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's like, I've had a lot of books from like, I remember when Hunter Bundle had heaps of cybersecurity. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've got tons of them books. Um, but yeah. It's, it's kind of still expected nowadays that if you start up with a company, they kind of train you. Mm. Uh, that also could just be confirmation bias on my side because uh, now that I guess a bit more senior, it's kind of a if they don't have it, I just you just go somewhere else. Um, mm. They don't pay for the, the 10 grand courses, or whatever. Yeah, um, but there's heaps of free courses still. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like it's like there's like Blue Lab, um, like the defensive labs that are like heaps of them are free, like Hack the Box. Um, mm. One of the offensive security courses, PWK, I think, is like the, is free to learn that tool. Um, there's there's a lot of free resources, which mm -hmm. I might be able to convince Desi that they got a good free resource link. Um, they can give you, uh, that, yeah, maybe you can chuck in there as well. Yeah, it's for sure. A list of hundreds and hundreds of free resources, like conferences and courses yeah, and, and even certifications and stuff that are free. Um, yeah, there's tons of. But I think the hard thing is where do I start? And yep. some of these boot camps are like the perfect solution if you have have a spare X amount of money. Um, mm -hmm. They give you a good broad stroke of, and they give you a a pacing. So if you turn up every, you turn up to the days you need, it kind of paces you through. Where if you kind of left, like if I uh, like learning something hard, sometimes it's easier just to to stop doing it. Um, yeah, yeah. But if you yeah, actually pay and commit to it kind of forces you to do it otherwise it feels like a waste yeah and and i find sometimes when i when i try and teach myself things sometimes it's uh like th i'm gonna give this example and it's not cyber related at all but uh i recently was putting in a new fence out the front and they took the letterbox out and i now need a new letterbox and i've got the old one that sat in the fence and i i saw this design where you can get like this mesh wire and put um, like cut up bricks in it and then you slot the letterbox in and it's like a freestanding letterbox. And I was like, this is great. Like it won't cost too much because letterboxes are surprisingly very expensive to buy. This is great. Like I can do this myself as a DIY project, but I, I didn't know what to Google for because I didn't know the name of of what it was. And it, it turns out it's called um, a Gabion wall and there's Gabion wall letterboxes. And as soon as I figured out what the name of it was, I found all these DIY guides that were really simple to follow. But it, I feel like that applies to cyber as well as like, you know, roughly what you want to learn. You just don't know what it's called. And 
you don't know how to Google for what you don't have a word for because you still need that a little bit of background knowledge to kick off your learning. And I think that's where boot camps and, and courses and all that kind of thing plays a really integral part because you can go, I want to solve this problem or I want to learn this, but I just don't know the terminology around. And I think that a lot of the steep learning curve often is terminology. Yep, hundred percent. So this is yeah. I think it's like I think we're like cyber's like a trade. Um like this kind of tangent I like. Um which you have court like degrees, mm-hmm. um, which are like a skill, like very skill based, you need degrees like a doctor. Where yeah. the body doesn't really change much. Humans haven't changed much for X amount of years. Mm-hmm. Um or philosophy where people have talked about philosophy for thousands of years. Like, blah 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 like the, the units courses are very they don't really change too much like mm. there's newer ones coming like you obviously get newer like they learn about like quantum theory and stuff come out uni courses yeah even like, like machine learning and that kind of thing yeah stuff. yeah machine learning and they, they kind of have a good framework where cyber mm-hmm. like for a cyber uni course um it's it would be very difficult to have like a technical cyber person straight out of uni course to be good yeah. Um, because where I see, uh, as more of like a mechanical trade, um, which I think is like one of the best jobs if you, if like someone is a bit older is transitioning into cyber or wants to have a look at it. Um, some of the best, uh, people that I've met, uh, who weren't anything cyber were like a mechanic mm. who knows like an engine, how it, how the works, they change every year. There's new engines, new part numbers, new stuff, there's new problems. And then yeah. they solve it. Yeah. Look at the documentation. Look at what past people have done. They, most engine, like most mechanics and stuff, will just Google it if it's a new car and find out because other people have done it too. Yeah. And then like a cyber similar kind of trade, um, where you can't just go to uni and learn the newest vulnerability because the uni courses aren't going to change every year. Yeah. Um, you get have the same information for a long time. So it's doing trade or doing certifications, doing courses, and actually just getting your hands dirty is. Yeah, um, and then like kind of pushing through, just uh, just googling everything you can until, you, <laughs> until you've learnt it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's super important. And that's, I guess, that's a good segue that what we're going to talk about next, which is is the areas and the degrees that you see at uni are very generalised, whereas cyber is very nuanced in its different fields. Like you, you have GRC, you have pen testing, you have DFIR, and, and we had a chat off air before this about kind of the difference in our roles in what digital forensics involves in an instant response versus what digital forensics in a law enforcement um, kind of deals with and the, the slight differences between that. Um, but I guess the next question that we're going into is, is what kind of areas through your journey have you, do you think you've been part of in the kind of breakdown of cyber? I've been like, just because of our, like our previous job in defense, um, we will put in a position where, like uh, like army doesn't have any kind of cyber doesn't have any kind of grc doesn't have any pentas doesn't have any architecture mm-hmm. for cyber so it, we were kind of dropped in a, a very small area with not many people um and we kind of told us just to build it mm-hmm. so it's we've like that's i've touched a lot of the fundamentals of like i can't just say all of it because it always changes but yeah like um how to how to build a sock how to how to build a network diagram mm-hmm. how to make where to put like at a fundamental level, I guess as most cyber people understand like risk, 
understand. Like this, yeah. this alert is more risky than this alert. Um, or if they had to do a report, um, we even did like media training, how to talk to a camera, um, with a crowd or without a crowd with a teleprompt. Um, so like, a that's really cool. Everything, I guess, like main skills, um, for actually like the easiest way for me is just look back at the courses. Like, um, I've done like, I think five science courses now. So it's, um, like 500, 504, 508, 572 and 509, I think is the newest one I've done. Mm-hmm. The cloud forensic, so like very forensics based. If you know the Sandscorpions names, yeah, um, we'll post all the links after this as well, so people can can read which ones they were. Very forensic sided courses, mm-hmm. um, Windows forensics, uh, and then a bit of cloud forensics, so AWS, uh, Azure, uh, Amazon Web Services, and uh, Google Cloud. Yeah, uh, but yeah, definitely on the DFIR space at the moment. Done a little bit of OSCP pen testing side, but I would never even call myself close to a pen tester. Yeah. Um, Done the training, but never the role kind of thing. I, I think I'm in a similar boat in that is I, I really enjoy the pen testing side, but I've ne- never worked in a role where I've predominantly done it. Yes, yeah, similar to me. Yeah. Definitely have not done like full pen test engagements and stuff, but mm-hmm. just know how to do like the basics, the fundamentals of it, which yeah. is yeah, good for forensics now because then I kind of know if I was in their shoes, what would I do? Um, yeah. How would I try to gain access? Yeah. And then, uh, but I want to get into um, more GRC architecture type roles too, because it's it's better off, I think, for my my own situation for core, like for a career path later on. Mm-hmm. Um, is doing more um, architecture framework for cybersecurity would be pretty cool, but not for everyone, but. I guess, especially after being an instant responder, like I can definitely appreciate it more on the preventative side than, oh shit, everything's on fire constantly kind of feeling that you have, which is exhilarating, but also tiring at the same time. Yeah, I think I want to do architecture for like instant response and like critical assets. Yeah. So building architecture quickly. In a, in a like an emergency, a critical. Oh, okay. So like a re- yeah. part of like a, a active remediation team, where you're coming in and, and assisting. Yeah, and doing the architecture side, like proving to the company, like writing in the correct words and proving that actually spending money here is actually good for you, and but putting that into nicer words mostly. What <laughs> <laughs> what architecture is, I guess. Yeah. Like convincing convincing everyone what you're doing is actually good for the company. Yeah, uh, being able to talk to boards, being able to talk to business, critical business people, um, and and yeah, building shit. Yeah, um, yeah, would be it's cool. I like the yeah, building stuff is very fun. Yeah, yeah. So it's that high level operational risk, but but still being hands on in a role that is critically important. Um, especially if, I I guess moving into these days where uh, like Socky Act talking about government changes within Australia, but how that's broadened the definition of critical infrastructure. Um, there'll definitely be, I think, more and more work in that space. And, and we need those people who are that more senior role, but still have the ability to be technical. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that's like the roles I have never done, which is like an actual, um, like a major decision maker in a company um, mm. or in a, like being a team leader is, it's very fun. More about like the welfare of your people is like the first most important thing. But then yeah. step up from like team leadership is you're managing entire departments. Yeah. And I guess it's less about the people than more about making money uh, in industry. But <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, 
it's a balance, right? Like it's it's making money because if if you make money, you can employ people and you're giving them the ability to to earn and, and live the life that they want to want to make. And and I think also if it's critical industry, protecting the community that you're in, right? Like we can't live without water or electricity these days. It'd be chaos. I think yeah. Well, that's I think that's a part and spot in like how to talk business out like like have a framework for I guess a couple of good frameworks for like architecture but how to like what does a company want that's mm. I guess to be a good employee kind of thing yeah does, does a company is that are they more employee focused or are they more about the members or if you have like a, a super fund or a financial company mm. they might care about their members most um, yeah or if you have a a company that owns has a board and like a has stocks on the ASX or something all they care about is their shareholders, so the people. But yeah, some care about the people more. Some people like some care about the money more. Just yeah, do what they want if if you work there, or you yeah. just make your own company. Yeah, yeah, those corporate corporate values and that and ethics that kind of are floated always when times are good, but it's when times are tough. How much do their values stick? Kind of thing. Yeah, this it's kind of a going into the opinion side, but it's a. Uh, it's not really about loyalty anymore in companies. I think it's a it's something great that my parents probably had, where a company is very loyal to their employees. But mm. yeah, nowadays it's uh, less loyalty to the employees and uh, more about making making money. But mm. it's my opinion. So yeah, yeah, something definitely might not be true. Yeah, hey, I think our our generation definitely has seen a, a change in in how people approach work. Um, and I think there's pros and cons either way, right? Like you could, you could also say back then with the company loyalty, people felt loyalty to the company, but still being abused or, um, like not taken care of as, as well as they should have within the one company. And socially it was looked at like frowned upon because you're like, oh, why are you leaving this job? You're not loyal. And that could be a detriment to the new job you're moving into, um, but again, like opinions, I have no facts to back any of this up or statistics, but just from anecdotal talking to my grandparents and, and my parents as well. My opinion is that definitely that well, there was a more loyalty back then, but obviously at different different times. Yeah. Um, like I'd much rather live now and have, have access to unlimited entertainment at home, <laughs> home than... And I have to not work from home and not have unlimited entertainment. I am just thankful for no more dial-up. Like that, the dial-up sound was like a horror movie. It just sent a chill down your spine anytime you heard that. We had dual dial-up when I was a kid, so I didn't have to deal with the, the phone thing. But uh, cause- We eventually got that. You had to plan your sessions. If you knew someone was calling, you'd be like, get off the computer. Can't be on the internet. We've got a phone call coming in. Yeah, I'm not, not sure if that was just an Australian thing, dual dial-up, but um, yeah, it's... But yeah, it's a, it was an interesting time. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't do too much. Going back to your roles, what has been your favorite role to do? And and I guess like this doesn't have to be uh, a work role. Like it, it could be to the, the pen testing. It could just be the most fun you've had within Cyber. I'd say SOC, Security Operations Center. Um, working in a, a small team for a global company. But then mm-hmm. we'd have a lot of, I guess yeah, power in the in the company's eyes. We were very looked after, mm-hmm. um, but like we didn't 
I didn't have to do engineering. It was just pure sock. There was, wasn't any architecture. You didn't have to build anything for anyone. Yeah. You didn't have to make any change requests. Um, you just got logs or people sent you their logs. You didn't have to go ask for them. You, they would be lowering their own risk. Um, right. You just tell them how to look like, this is what I think you should do. And then they'll do that, their own risk report and get it signed off and then send us the data. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no, none of that like searching around, getting people in trouble. If, you just if you found something, you just send an email to their line manager that hey, this person did this, and yeah, will get fixed. Okay. Uh, and it's just like the company I was working for was like, uh, if if they don't fix it, just send it to the line manager, the line manager, and the scissor. And then if, if they still didn't fix it, send an email to them again, and then you'd say it's the third warning, and then the scissor would go fire a bunch of people probably. But it was a. <laughs> There wasn't too much worry. They didn't have to go search and make sure they didn't do it or did do it. It was just if you found it, you sent it and did cases every day. It was a yeah. really rewarding role because every day would just be completely different from the last. Um, yeah. And really, really skilled people at the companies too. So yeah, some of the most skilled soft people I ever met. So you were kind of like honing honing those analyst skills day to day and it, it was varied enough to be interesting that you didn't kind of feel that monotony burn you out. Yeah, I kind of turned up and thought I was good at cyber and got humbled really quickly. <laughs> um, when they was like one of the guys help like does blogs for and has like a, a really good sock tool if mm-hmm. someone's like the, the hive of one of the sock tools um, and like yes yeah, like talk to the developers of this tool that I like fell in love with um, and then uh, yeah the tools I, yeah really like it and it was like hanging around with someone who like helped build it in a way and was like doing blogs that heaps of people were using for their own like benefit to like improve their own tools so it was like yeah it was cool just to be in a, around people that were like insanely good yeah yeah nice but yeah definitely my favorite role was yeah sock in the operation now with a really good team yeah um and it was work from home too so <laughs> and i think that was that was pre-covid early days work from home wasn't it I, I think I remember. No, that was after that was after COVID. That ah, okay. Um, so we'd seen started to see the shift already. Yeah, that was uh, that role was work from home when I turned up to when I left. Um, yep. I think I went to the office twice for mm-hmm. marketing purposes, just to pretend the socks does like lives there. Um, yeah, but yeah, really good. Nice, really good role. And then yeah, still talking to my coworkers. Yeah, like, yeah, it was my coworkers kind of come be friends. Yeah. So yeah, everyone's, yeah, it was good. Nice. So I guess like talking about your coworkers doing blogs and, and making tools and that kind of thing, do you have any uh, passion projects of your own at the moment, and cyber or otherwise? Yeah, I'm not much of a programmer, uh, mm-hmm. but I guess um, passion projects. I kind of like have no long-term passion projects, but in the, in the, like, the moment, need something done and you build it out um so i guess with architecture in in my company building mm-hmm. out like our entire like sock environment building the hive stack yeah um building like the environment connecting to like a threat intelligent platform like misp uh, which you can mm-hmm. pull in like data from heaps of different sources heaps of different feeds and like um and use that to enrich your logs like getting a threat actors ip addresses from some database pulling that into your own environment and then looking for that IP in all your logs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like building, building like a sock out. I guess that's like the architecture thing, like building, building something that works at 
your team actually enjoys using. Yeah, it's definitely a definitely a fun fun project. Um, but I guess it's less passion, more work related, but it's still I guess it is a passion too. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it sounds like it's something that you enjoy and are passionate about. So, um, like it could could be work related, and usually that drains a lot of your energy and time. It's definitely a fun part of the job, but yeah, it's it's it can definitely drain energy if you if you don't have something else to you don't just do your normal job. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely fun building stuff out. So, is that kind of your your goal for the next six to twelve months, or? Do you have something else that you have in mind that you want to start and, and start moving towards like career-wise or or just learning um, something new? Um, yeah, for stuff I'm learning um, over the next six to 12 months, I'm doing Mandarin, um, learning Mandarin as best <laughs> I can. Nice. Um, well, like not that great of it yet. Got your Duolingo app and doing your dailies? I'll do um, classes each each week. And, oh, and cool. Nice. Um, yeah, it's still and goes good, but it's it's easy to just get bored of it and not use it. Yeah. It just kind of forces you to touch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did that with Duolingo. I got very complacent very quickly. Yeah, and it's like it just gives like Duolingo is like it's a actually it's like one learning tool, but if you only use Duolingo, it's mm. it's gonna be hard. Like Mandarin is it's a, you can't just like remember each word and translate it instantly. It's yeah. It's a difference between like a spoken and written language, I guess. It's you kind of have to switch your like written language off, brain off, so your English language yeah. off and just try to think in Mandarin, I guess. Um, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's very rewarding, like being able to walk around like Melbourne and read half the signs or try to read half the signs at least, honest characters. Is that the motivation behind it? Like, I, I guess Melbourne being a very um, heavy Chinese community that have immigrated, like Chinatown being so big in Melbourne, was that the motivation behind it was just to be more immersed in the city that you're in i wanted to do something that wasn't like it was challenging but achievable as well okay um, but also like with mandarin helps in cyber i've used mm-hmm. like even just a few times the limited amount i do know um there's like been a few times where you get an ip or like a, a program that you find in an incident and you look mm-hmm. it up and it's on github but it's in mandarin and you can you can do the, the google translate but it's like pretty pretty bad yeah um it's and then like even like very good ai based language models aren't they can't like translate cyber talk well they, they're probably like they're better than me but that's yeah it's just to like be able to quickly read something yeah cyber and there's a, there's a lot of threat actors and or like uh people like a threat actors who who are chinese groups yeah that attack stuff so it's 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 fun to be able to know that but that's just like one thing of it yeah Probably like the motivation for learning is just, yeah it's challenging it's would be cool to know and once you like know one of like one of them um like uh asian type languages like uh, thai or yeah um, yeah mandarin or cantonese or japanese or korean south korean um you can kind of like it's a bit easier to learn the others or a little bit of exchange between them there's some characters in Japanese that are very similar to, to Chinese. Super impressive. You'll be, uh, I, I think I have this term right, you'll be a polyglot in no time, which I think means you can speak and read multiple languages. I have no idea what that means. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. All, yeah. all I know, like I've tried to learn it before and, and on YouTube there is a whole bunch of people being like, 
how I learned to be a polyglot. And yeah, I, I think it just means you can talk multiple languages. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, hopefully I'll be able to talk it more fluently, but uh, I'll have to go to, um, I guess, my trip is to probably Taiwan. They're a bit more friendly than for my past jobs. It's a bit more difficult to get into some countries, but yeah, fun is, uh, is a, would be a cool country to go to and tourist there a little bit. Yeah. Um, but they are, they have traditional Chinese written, where, um, but they do talk Mandarin. But I know it's the simplest, simplistic Mandarin written. Different writing styles, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, that's if I can learn that in 12 months, that'd be awesome, but I don't think so. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's <laughs> An ongoing project, yeah. I want to learn a bit more about investing, get back into that. Yeah. Um, on the ASX or other markets and stuff, but mm -hmm. about it, yeah. Cool. Not really cyber related, but yeah, I I think that's good though. I I think like a lot of people that I I want to interview and talk to, and and it, people that I have spoken to in the past, everyone seems to have like a really interesting outside hobby that I'm always surprised to hear about. Like that's not cyber related, and I think that's really cool because um, you need something that is a way to escape, especially when work gets a bit hectic or you kind of get over it a little bit. You can kind of focus your your passion and your attention elsewhere. Um, yeah, 100%. You need that. Well, for me, my part-time, I have a part-time job in a company called ESL Australia, mm -hmm. um, which is eSports League. Um, oh, sick. They, so they do... Like, are you, are you like, an eSports e e athlete? No, um, I work in some of the events. Oh, the event sick. Um, so like the recent DreamHack, if you know mm -hmm. DreamHack or... Um, I am happening in 2019 for Counter Strike, yeah. but there's yeah a bunch of stages. Uh, but it's, yeah, so different because it's like you're doing 16 hour days, getting stuff into the building, making sure everyone's happy, all the attendees, and <laughs> doing entire like massive stages and getting like talent and players in, and like yeah, it's it's a lot of stuff that happens, and it's it's cool to see the the back behind the scenes. But it's like so different to my normal job, but it, man. It's really good. Surprised me even further. What a what a side hustle to have. Yeah, I guess Australia is an awesome company. Um, or like a Facebook group, mm -hmm. um, which I think they're owned by as well. I think ESL is owned by Facebook group. But yeah, well, like they, they're very similar. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they're like one of them owns one of them, but yeah, ESL, Facebook group. Yeah. But Going back a, a little bit, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Like we all have aspirations. Um, like I think growing up, wanted to be an astronaut and then I went on one of the rides at Luna Park where they spin you around and around and I got really sick and then I found out that that was like one of the tests to be an astronaut and I was like yeah I'm not going to be an astronaut but the vomitator the centrifuge machine or whatever it oh is. mate yeah oh I'll, I'll put a I'll put a link in the show notes for those things but they're they're hell on earth those things yeah I'm not a fan of roller coasters that's for sure yeah. uh, including including that any any kind of ride mm. um but uh yeah for what I wanted to be I was a pretty dumb kid, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> it's the reason why I didn't go to uni. Uh, but um, I guess I'll, I did like military. I was in the Army Cadets, which isn't very much like military, but it's military-like in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah, definitely enjoyed camping and um, the the Army thing, well, what I thought was the Army thing back then, which is kind of why I ended up being a soldier. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I guess... Yeah, I didn't really like. Yeah, I was. I guess IT, IT is like what I wanted to do. Yeah, but yeah, I wasn't wasn't the smartest kid, so I, I had my expectation low. 
So I guess we've already talked a little bit about um, passion projects and, and what you're doing in your spare time, but is there any anything else you do to kind of get away from work, to unwind, uh, whether that's just like the latest thing on Netflix or um, another podcast that you listen to to kind of like chill out and, and not think about anything else? Um, Feel free to say my podcast. That's okay. Yeah, I've watched I've watched the one episode and the whole. Thing <laughs> so um, There's more to come, so you can yeah, you can yeah, chill out that I'm way. Need <laughs> to hear more, that's for sure. Um, but uh, I guess like like just the just the amount of entertainment on like like I grew up with a PC. Yeah. From like an early age, every day home from school, or not most days home from school. You're playing games with your friends yeah. on Frenchula or Mumble or whatever back then. Um, talking to mates every single day. And then and then you're growing up. Or like growing up and then going to work and pretty much doing the same thing. Um, yeah, like a lot of gaming with friends or just chatting with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know, like YouTube, Unlimited Entertainment, Netflix, um, or whatever other software like Cody and stuff, streaming mm-hmm. services. Mm-hmm. Um, just a bit cheaper streaming services, I guess. Yeah, uh, with the, yeah, with the stuff with Netflix. Um, Personally, I've gotten rid of the Netflix and all the other streaming services, and I've found that I am watching way more YouTube now, and it's great for both entertainment and learning. Like sometimes I feel like oh, I'm going to learn how like a CPU works, and there's like a, a video on YouTube about it, which is like awesome. Ben Eater, I think it's Ben Eater. Uh, it was it was the one where they um, break down the components in 3D imaging. I'll, I can't remember it. I've oh, yeah, subscribed okay. to their channel, but I'll post the link in the notes. But the the quality is amazing. Um, ben, ben Eater is like a dude who does, he builds, has like breadboards and like. Yeah, right. One, one wire to one wire and like 555 timers and just chips. Nice. It builds like an 8-bit computer um, yeah. by hand and just shows all the math and shit. Yeah, it's like, but yeah, like just education is just fun um like i watched quite a few like cyber related education ones and it's like computing and math problem ones mm. um, even though I'm pretty bad at math but it's it's fun to watch the people who are good at diagrams i did did some math subjects and some of my lecturers were some of my lecturers were awesome and some were very bad at teaching like i'm sure they were awesome researchers but i learned from youtube on some of those courses yeah especially for cyber Mm. to learn like it's a for forensics a guy called 13 um cubed insanely good yeah um i think someone i know does uh forensics uh on youtube as well yeah hardly hardly yeah. adequate makes uh some technical content um lots more coming out every two weeks it looks cool um but yeah it's like tons of like that's like there's actually too many forensics youtubers in my opinion um I'm just, just adding to the problem. Not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's not many of them. Like, there's not many at all. So it's like it's good to have at least like now we've got an Australian. Um, there might be a few more that I haven't seen, but uh, the only like yeah, it's not too many. But there's like uh, quite a few pen testing YouTube channels. Yeah, um, I think that industry has definitely matured faster at a a smaller accessible space than the blue team side. Um, like hack, yeah, hack the box, I think really kicked off the industry early on for people to be for it to be accessible to the average person and get them into pen testing. Yeah, it's it's uh, and it's like 
you can just run an exploit and like kind of get mm. like a, a pre-built machine download it and run run the exploit you're told to and it works mm. um but yeah this pen testing is fun in yeah the, in the offline but when you do it as a job it's a lot of report writing <laughs> unlike defense <laughs> yes. defense is i think just more fun in general um, yeah but yeah everyone's everyone's a bit different what they want yeah but uh yeah like yeah for entertainment education kind of entertainment is pretty bore but like it's like a like starcraft or starcraft um a few other like random youtube channels yeah um yeah i guess i live in the middle of melbourne cbd so it's like Lots to do around friends, city. Friends come to CBT all the time and just go for beers or yeah, um, lunch or whatever. Yeah, so it's it's a pretty pretty nice place to live. And then also yeah, a bit of travel. Mm. Traveling's fun too. Went to Peru and Brazil. Oh nice! The end of last year and going to Mexico a couple of weeks time. Awesome. Um, hopefully you don't get called back for an incident when you're in Mexico. Yeah, hopefully not. I booked the leave, so that's hopefully <laughs> they don't call me back on my leave. Yeah. Um, Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, hopefully it's after my friend's wedding. Yeah. Hopefully not beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, see. Yeah, that'll be right. All right, so we're, we're almost up. Um, last question that I want to leave with is, do you have kind of any recommendations for people that are outside the industry and considering a change? And, and this could be just like something like an internal driver or courses or, or anything that you could kind of, give to someone who, who is listening to this and maybe connects to your story and, and is looking for a career change? I think like the best part of best time to get in the cyber is now and then later. It's just going to get yeah more competitive. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like tons of Australian cyber companies or in international cyber companies overseas that like are looking for people now. Um, all those tons of courses that are, that are out you can, that can be done. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not like a hard thing to give a blanket recommendation because based on everyone's different circumstances, but just like, yeah, tons of like what we talk about, tons of um, YouTube content. Um, if you're in a trade, a trades are really good to change over from if you're already in a trade. Mm. And have a good, if you're a mechanic, you know how to solve problems. Yeah, that um, problem, you, problem solving skill set you can translate, right? Yeah, and if you're like a, a cook, you know like shit happened, like a cook or even like just in the a kitchen staff. Mm. Like, deal with new stuff every day yeah um uh but yeah that's like, obviously that's just two roles with hundreds and hundreds of trades yeah um, and if you're in yeah doing uni or have like a more like a skilled trade i don't know what the wording for it is but you can like there's tons of cyber jobs like grc and stuff or mm -hmm. in instant response there's the like more theoretical report writing or mm. um different approaches so it's like it's a it's a cool job to transition into, and especially now that there's how much is being pumped into it. Yeah, especially money being pumped into cyber. Um, yeah, there's tons of tons of really cool jobs um, to get. Uh, but yeah, for f recommendations for outside the industry looking to change. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to say because yeah, depending on you, if you come from IT, like I could just easily say, oh yeah, if you you have this networking background, you should look at doing security networking um mm -hmm. and if that as a starting point and then you could look into like instant response whatever other career path you wanted once you're in mm. um, but if you come with like no cyber experience no it but you're a mechanic it's like or maybe you should look at 
doing a sock because you're quick at solving problems. Mm. Um, and you could have like personal skills. Yeah. Um, and you can do like you're interviewing really well, or if you're really good at report writing and CV building, and mm. um, like if you're good at CV building, you can get into most companies. But <laughs> CV building is a pretty good skill to have. Um, yeah. It's it's a uh, yeah. It's, Let's look like yeah it's hard to just give a blanket this is what you do mm. um but yeah fine talk to people around you um go talk to someone who's in cyber it's probably the best recommendation ask yeah ne- ask networking right yeah yeah well i just I have no skills but i got motivation i want to go have a look yeah um and if you have the skills and you cuff and you've applied for a few and got knocked back just apply for 60 more um when mm. i left uh military um no one really knew cyber like military is kind of new so no one cyber military didn't really mm. have a good name for itself yet yeah um i definitely felt that when i left difficult to get out yeah uh, when i got out because it was quite early on mm. but now like a lot of companies i think have seen that goal there's a lot of people that vouch for them at least mm. and how good the military cyber people are so it's yeah it's a bit easy now um but yeah them being able to talk to us and being like hey yeah you should join this company and give yeah. you a vouch is, is invaluable so, nice um, Yes. Hard question, I guess. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess my recommendation is yeah, talk to people inside already and see, um, um, get, get some advice from other people as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for, for joining me today for the episode, Brennan. It's been awesome hearing your story. And um, even though I think we we catch up semi-frequently on, on Discord, I've definitely learned new things about you, learning Mandarin and... Um, helping support esports organizations run their events, which is pretty cool. Um, I think if if we can, we'll, we'll chuck some links if people kind of want to uh, see your history. Do you have a LinkedIn that we can? Yeah, yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll chuck my LinkedIn at the bottom. Sweet, um, yeah. Yeah, feel free to message me or contact me, and I'm happy to give a hand. Or hopefully, I can try to give advice needed as well. Awesome. All right, well, that's it for this week. Uh, Nearly all of the content will be free. Uh, If you do want to support, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Like and subscribe to the YouTube channel and leave some comments because that will help a lot. Uh, If you're feeling charitable, unfortunately not tax deductible, head over to my Buy Me A Coffee to either make a donation or sign up for a membership. All the links will be in the show notes, but for a hub of all content, Hardly Adequate related, please head to hardlyadequate.com. And thanks for listening and I'll catch you all later.